0: 39.1 degrees Celsius. Don't worry, you'll be just fine after a shot in some pose.
1: When we have a high fever, we should go see a doctor for medical treatment. When Mother Earth is running a high fever…
0: …extensively on the heat waves that have hit large areas. …is bracing for its longest
1: heat wave Climate on record. Change. Just like us, she reaches out for help. What can we do to make her feel better?
0: I brought my own water bottle. I brought a reusable bag.
1: Bring your own water bottle in place of disposable tableware. Don't use a plastic bag.
0: It's too hot. Let's get a car. No, we can get there in just 10 minutes by bike.
1: Walk or ride a bicycle instead of driving for short distances.
2: Oh wow, is your phone broken? Why don't you get a new one? It's okay. I'll get it fixed and can still use it.
1: Repair items whenever possible instead of replacing them with new ones.
0: Don't bother printing out the meeting proposal. I've set up a shared
2: online document for it.
1: Build a paper-free working environment instead of printing everything out.
2: The era of
1: global warming has ended. Effects from global warming are occurring much more frequently than in the past.
3: The era of global boiling has arrived.
1: Mother Earth has a fever. And we cannot withstand the consequences. Take prompt actions to reduce, reuse, and recycle. Discussion
0: keeps the world turning.
1: This is Roundtable. Table.
0: Hello everybody, welcome to a special edition of Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. This August 15th marks China's first National Ecology Day. In giving lucid waters and lush mountains back to nature and the people, balanced and sustainable development is key, and conservation efforts are just as important. Not just sparrows and pigeons. Cosmopolitans such as Beijing host many, many raptors beyond common knowledge. Here, an improving environment attracts them to set up home or temporarily rest their feet along migratory routes. Today we start with checking in on how raptors or birds of prey are faring after heavy rainfall in the capital. And with a nod to China's National Ecology Day, we discuss how to strike the delicate balance of human and wildlife coexistence. I'm excited to welcome two friends to join me and talk about all that. Let's welcome them now. She is a wildlife conservationalist and our favorite person to talk all things animal related, Ma Chenye, Program Manager of International Fund for Animal Welfare China, otherwise known as IFA. I'd like to extend a
2: very warm hello to you. Thank you very much, ho Thank you for having me here. And I'm so glad to be able to share our work with the with the listeners today.
0: And it's wonderful to have you back. We've received such a warm response over the last show you came on. We talked about Asian elephant rescue and protection. People really dug it. Also, we have another guest on the show. He's got four decades of institutional knowledge in radio and political commentary under his belt. Ever since he hung up his boots or dropped the mic, he's turned into a full-time bird watcher and grandpa? Is that true? Well, Mr. Lin Xiao Wen, welcome back it's to It's partially the
3: s- true. Thank you very much. It's, <laughs> the feeling is like going back to where I'm familiar with, uh, but no longer familiar with now. Uh, yes, uh, grandpa, but not a full-time bird watcher, but still an amateur. Uh, began the hobby more than three years ago since I retired.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's great to have you back in the studio and talk about your experience and everything environmental conservation related. Yes, so let's get right to it. Beijing has endured torrential rain recently, and humans had to find a secure shelter to avoid the potential dangerous effects of disruptive weather. And what about birds, you know? Do more raptors need help at the Beijing Raptor Rescue Center? So please give us an update on the status quo, Chen Yue we
2: have to say the recent extreme weather did impact um, wildlife and particularly raptors quite severely uh, over the past uh, week we received six raptors and five of them were admitted to uh, the center because of the rainstorm uh, we had a, a chinese goshawk we had a two common kestrels, and we also had a one eastern um, red-footed falcon So uh, one of these birds were a chick and the other were adults. And it was clear that they were here because of uh, injury or dehydration or uh, hypoformia uh, caused by the rain. We also received more than a dozen of calls from uh, citizens um, across the the city, uh, asking for help of uh, birds injured of uh, various kinds. However, uh, unfortunately, because Beijing Raptor Rescue Center only received raptors, we were only able to provide you know technical advices via the phone instead of uh, receiving those birds to the center.
0: Yeah, and Xiaowen, you've been around. The city and parks, and I don't really know where you hang out, but you managed to find the most beautiful birds. Have you realized um, something of a change as such? Um, ever since the heavy rain in Beijing that we've been talking about yes, a lot of lately, but
3: I don't have, although I don't have the whole picture of the, what happened during these days. But I do see the city parks were closed, some areas were forbidden to enter. And also hear information about uh, some of the bird nests, especially on the surface of water, being submerged in heavy downpours. Mm. And some of the birds, especially the raptors, couldn't find uh, other birds to eat. And other birds are still hiding somewhere. And some may have changed their migrant plans, earlier or later to other places and safer places. But uh, the, the whole picture is... So uh, I just know the first-hand experience.
0: Yes, and um, before the show, and this is breaking the fourth wall a little bit. Shawin and I talked a little bit about seeing birds mm. or chicks fall from the nest, and it's pretty common scene these days. Maybe thanks to the fact that we have more birds around the city, so to speak. and That's uh,
3: true, because you know, I've been taking pictures of birds and watching birds for more than three years. So I hear that uh, some others who have been taking pictures for longer years have told me that some of the rarely seen birds or never seen birds now a frequent scene in the even downtown areas mm. for example the Yuantan Park which is next door to uh, the guest house and we're quite close to the city center uh, have now seen that what two one third of the bird species found in the whole city and then the, there are five global migrant routes, and then Be- beijing is one of the busiest oh. so the, the birds either in numbers or number of species are growing so that's why this is a happy thing for us uh, taking cameras and shooting pictures of them
2: I just want to add a little bit of news I read recently, is that Beijing released uh, the most updated list of wildlife uh, of Beijing municipalities. And apparently this year we added 12 new species of birds Uh into Beijing's list. So Beijing has officially announced of having more than 500 kinds of birds now. Wow, that is
0: quite the number. Because for most people who don't really pay that much attention, to wildlife wouldn't really associate a mega city like Beijing with wildlife in the city and so many birds as well. So raptors, they're called Mengqin in Chinese. They're birds of prey, and they're often seen as top predators in the food chain. And they can be vulnerable too. They need rescue too. What kind of attention do they typically receive and need in the Beijing
2: Raptor Rescue Center. So the ultimate goal for um, raptor rescuing, or wildlife rescuing, um, is to keeping wild animals wild. So we aim to release them back to the wild instead of uh, keeping them with us. So all these care and treatment measures we provide to the raptors should be all surrounding to this principle of uh, keeping them wild. And that said, uh, from the time they admitted to the to the rescue center, especially for chicks, we want to make sure they don't get imprinted to human beings. So we put all sorts of measures in place such as dressing as a big tree or you know feeding those animals with a with the raptor-headed puppet um, and with the uh, nail inside of it to feed the food all these measures we want to make sure the raptors don't relate them to as part of a human daily life but as wild animals and so another very important aspect is that making sure they are ignored in the sense that uh, they don't receive any source of disturbance that are not necessary. Like when we feed the uh, food to them, we want to make sure we don't feed it in front of them. We just throw the food inside their cages so that they don't necessarily see who are providing the foods. So all sorts of the measures are uh, in place so that uh, the attention they receive is that uh, as less as possible, so that eventually they are ready to be back to, to the wild. Yeah, that's a really great
0: point, and that's something I learned firsthand as I went on a reporting trip to your center, and I dressed up as a big tree. As mama bird, and uh, but without really showing my face, and of course, you know there was a whole gear that you have to put on, and I have to say the rehabilitators at the center—they're very resourceful because it's actually very difficult to feed the birds without showing your face and without um, leaving any like hint or trace of. You're a human. So they even managed to uh, get this uh, tweezer, a pair of tweezers, through this muppet that you can put on your hand and deliver the food to the bird, which, you know, would be in a dire strait and is. It was necessary to to get some food. And to experience that firsthand, I thought, was was really interesting. Also, an educational uh, experience as well. And going to the center, and apparently for the center, it not only rescues birds, but um, provides an educational purpose for the general public, too. And uh, aside from that, there was also something else that I find to be Worth sharing here with you guys uh, is that when I went on that reporting trip, I saw that there was this collection of beautiful feathers that were neatly and meticulously preserved. And apparently, every single feather of different length is for some kind of transplant on an injured bird that comes to the rescue center. So, actually, you know, to attach the appropriate feather on the bird appropriately, that can really help him or her or it to uh, go back into the wild. And uh, yeah, Chen Yue, could you elaborate a little bit more on these very interesting things that
2: rehabilitators perform every day to rescue birds? Sure. I think it's it's just like human clinical services uh, you get advanced as time progress and you learn new things and for us it's the same we constantly learn from other rescue centers we absorb new knowledge and we try to be creative whenever we find there there's not ready solution and so all these I mean to be as soyan said releasing them back to the wild uh, for the feather, I think not many people realize how extricate um, those feathers are. Each of the feather is very different from others. So when we have uh, birds that didn't make it, that exist, uh, we will save those raptors feathers and we will very carefully organize them in order so that we know, so this feather is a third feather from the left wing of certain species. So that when we have a raptor who has everything ready except for the feather, we can, as we explained, transplant those feather into their wing so that uh, can expedite the process for them to be released back to the wild. And we call that the feather bank. Oh, yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and also it's like a mini clinic. You would assume that, oh, it's just very much like what a human would go through um, at the rescue center, and there's even top-notch x-ray machine and uh yeah so the may i say bird patients would pretty much receive similar kind of necessary treatment as a human does yeah yeah so xiaowen i have a question for you when it comes to the love of birds and the attention that you've given to them and you know birding is one of those fastest growing hobbies in the world because it's easy it's supposed to be inexpensive and fun And guilty as charged, Showen, I lurked around your social media, your WeChat friend moments, and oh boy, was I astounded by the beautiful uh, photos of all kinds of birds, colorful and rare. So what's really brought your interest to the forefront of birds ever since, um, you know, um, you you stopped the daily political commentary? (laughs) It
3: started with something That I had nothing to do with but the the, the hobby itself. Well, uh, several months or several years before I retired, I thought that when I retired, I must have a hobby. Uh, But I don't know what exactly to do, but I know two precisely concerns. One is I must be away from home or Ah. rooms so don't be, uh, say, a, a giant again sort of sitting in front, uh, for hours and hours in front of the microphone or the desk. <laughs> and then the first and second, it must have little to do with my profession as a radio broadcaster to talking about headline news using English. So first think about, uh, say, fishing. But somehow I think the second thought would be fishing. I would still be sitting there for hours by the riverside or lakeside. So bird watching is... Uh, it has... But it benefited me many ways. Five, mm. for example, exercise, Physical, good for health. I move my body, organ, say <laughs> the whole part. Uh-huh. I need to walk a whole steadily. The choose the right angle in it instead uh-huh. of get closer. The walks, the legs, the, the arms, the ear, the eyes. Second, you learn to need to improve your skills to operate some some some, some buttons to readjust some buttons. Which was quite good for me, especially because since I joke that I'm a, a technical idiot. And number three, <laughs> artistic creations so mm. by editing uh, captions, uh, say uh, monologue or words, say. and then four, it helps me make friends, sharing information, taking pictures, sharing joys, and then number five is uh, say, learn something about the ecology and the nature. So where and when can I find certain birds? Otherwise, I will be ended up arriving there seeing nothing. So then started from nothing to bit by bit learning a bit about this. What if two birds are fighting? One becomes the prayer of the other. Shall we intervene? What if one... A baby bird falling down the tree mm. shall we intervene try to rescue someone say yes someone say don't know uh, bit by bit as they say on some occasions uh, human intervention is necessary on some others correct me if i'm wrong because i'm not a professional so they say that if the bird f- fall down in the final day of his uh, his babyhood and learning to fly but somehow couldn't manage his flight. Then let it be, because his parents will intervene, and his parents will help providing food. Because this is a dilemma. Because birds are not cats and dogs. Cats and dogs that can pick their their babies back into nests. Birds can't. Mm. But if it's in too early for them to for, so, so, to to fly back to their, somewhere, then we might call help from professional agencies or put them into a safer place and then let it be. Die or not, survive or not is their story, it's not their our lifestyle. So bit by bit we learned and we learned one key word, decoy. Mm. So different kinds of say playing sounds of recorded b- b- birds in order to attract their parents providing of food which is not their their routine food this is a uh, undesirable or if you stage uh, to take some branches or, or, or stones to create uh, some platform for them to dive into the water to catch fish or tie some f- f- food mm. like a, a rat or an insect that uh, changes their life habits but somehow still in some places for example traditionally in northern china the taihang mountain regions farmers they traditionally had a habit of say uh, uh, fruit trees and in winter times they will leave some fruits on the treetop Mm -hmm. so that in snowy days birds can survive and also they if you capture a a small animal as prey for them or you set a, a, a hut and sell seats to others, cameramen, then these kinds of things are decoys that are not good. But some sort of necessary salvation at accidental times would be necessary. Mm. But we still need to learn from, say, those who have been involved in working for longer years or from professional agencies engaged in the job. So still I'm an amateur, say, learning what should do and what should not.
0: Yeah, that's a learning curve for everybody, you know? And this is also one thing that left with me quite the impression after that reporting trip to the Raptor Rescue Center. That is, the rehabilitators there um, sort of voiced a little bit of concern that now, you know, with all the talk, the publicity, and promotional activities after years of effort, actually residents in cities, kind of have the basic knowledge of, oh, you want to save birds, oh, there is this place that you can contact if you see birds in need. But then could there also be this situation of, you want to help birds, but actually you are doing it in a counterproductive
2: way? Uh, I think what uh, Mr. Shaw explained actually is quite accurate uh, in terms of you need to learn and evaluate what's the best way and what's the right time to intervene when a wildlife is in trouble Uh, for us on the bright side we do witness the change of the awareness and uh, attitude of citizens towards wildlife they um, shifted from previously maybe they don't even realize that the wildlife are around them they don't have that topic in their daily life to right now they pay attention and they want to be able to help and then that did create in some circumstances when people wanted to rescue a chick from the ground What they did was actually kidnapping uh, it from its parents. Um, So it it does require more advanced knowledge more than you know. You're realizing that animal is in trouble. Uh, In a recent case, we got a phone call from a a citizen in community in Fengtai district of uh, southern part of uh, Beijing. And then they um, mm-hmm. saw chicks falling on the ground from uh, air conditioner box of uh, outside the window. So our rehabilitators went there and they saw the nest and they saw other chicks still in the, in the nest. And the, they evaluated the situation and felt that, you know, they feel confident the parents will be back. So they picked the spurs and put them back to the nest. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, they received another call of the same nest, of a similar situation. But then the second the incident happened, they, they were able to guide the uh, citizen who reported to do the right thing for the birds instead of uh, just keeping them and taking them back home or sending them to us. So I think this one story tells you know how much it's, it is important for people to actually have a uh, knowledge on what to do about it. And it's important to uh, give people the right kind of uh, experience to be involved in actual helping mission so that they know how to pass that knowledge and act upon them whenever this kind of uh, need uh, arise. Yeah.
3: yeah, we learn from lessons. For example, that I have two uh, first-hand knowledge and first-hand knowledge. Twice I've seen a baby bird, a smaller bird, four for falling from the net on one branch to the grassland and then we were worried about whether to whether to do something or not and then some people say just take the the bird into a a lower branch and his parents will come to to help Mm. Uh, what if they the the baby but becomes the victim of a raptor don't do anything because that's the That's daily how life works. of this. Yeah. and then one of my favorites, the other stories. One of my favorite raptors is called uh, Falco Perpetuals, called Yan mm-hmm. Nowadays there are at least three nets, Yuan Tan in uh, Temple of Heavens, and another in Xing. and those three families are having their baby uh, subbuteus. Maybe today, tomorrow, or the <laughs> into two or three days, uh-huh. the babies. One it has three babies, the other has two, and the third one, I don't know how many, are, are about to learn to fly and leave the nets. Last year and the year before, each time one baby bird fell to the ground, from Yuantan Park and to Wukosong, which is quite close to our studio. Mm. And then the net is very high because this kind of species has never built their own nests. They only fight other other birds like. Uh, uh, and take their house? Like crows and pies mm. and then seize their nets. And then during the time where they hatch eggs or nursing the babies, they easily become counterattacked and get revenge from the, their enemies. And the enemies are a whole huge army. The organized teams, some stage force attack in order to ca- catch your attention. Some will stand ambush, some will fly from back and to attack you, and some will stay behind and taking information and giving orders. Organized arms, these two kinds. That raptor had only one couple, and one was busy engaged in the net taking care of either the, the eggs or the babies. So, in such kind of fightings, it's easy to get one baby not falling down. Oh. And then what shall we do? Report. Or, say, try to help them to send to the, the center. Because, you know, too much intervention would mean you're friendly to one, one kind of species of bird, but you're not friendly, you're enemy to the other side. So better not to not to do anything. And then just watch and keep a distance and watch and take pictures. Otherwise, yeah. it will mean affect the life the habits and instincts of either side.
0: Isn't that a great lesson that nature teaches us as humans? I, th- I think it's a great humbling experience when you, when you think about it. Been
3: to, I've been to, i uh, had three years experience in Africa, the see the of migration. You would see the lion trying to capture, say, a, a David. deer. What would you do? Nothing. Keep a mm-hmm. distance, taking mm-hmm. pictures watching them don't do anything so same same with the bird fight here
0: right well i actually like to check with you also chen yue um i read on one of the brochures from ifa and uh the beijing raptor rescue center that uh, if you want to s- rescue birds yourself or maybe Somehow that was just the circumstance. Um, you should find a paperboard box and poke holes in it and put the bird inside. But, but yeah, the problem is like, how do you decide whether you should intervene or not? Or should you sort of, you know, put the towel over the face of the bird and place it into that cardboard box? To hear what my guests have to say in answering that question, stick around. We'll be back after this break. Discussion keeps the world turning.
1: This is Roundtable.
0: You're listening to Roundtable. I'm He Young. Each scenario could be different. How do you decide when to step in if a birdie is struggling on the ground? Ma Chenyu, Program Manager of International Fund for Animal Welfare, or IFA and bird-watching enthusiast Lin Xiaowen share their thoughts. Um,
2: So an easy way to determine is that uh, if it's adult, and when you're moving towards it, it's not moving away, then you can safely assume it's in trouble. Because the raptors, they are on the top of the food chain. And they only end up in a situation where they become near human when they don't have another choice. So if you see a bird, it's not... um, being confined in the environment is free to fly but it's not flying away from you it's safe to assume that they need help so that's whenever it's a um, a larger relatively larger bird you definitely need to ensure your own health and your safety before you're able to take action so if it's a big bird called professionals call beijing raptor rescue center we will have someone to come and pick but if it's a chick and um, as we discussed earlier you can sort of observe the environment to see if the chick is in any kind of trouble. If it's a uh, let's say an area with the street cats and the, with the you know danger from being hurt by other um, you know cats and dogs, street animals, then maybe it's your chance to find a nest and put it back. And if, as uh, Mr. Shelman explained, uh, it's a safe environment, you can observe for a while and to see if the parents will be back to pick up the birds itself, or if other raptors come. And then that's how nature works. You would just have to let it happen. So it really depends on the situation. And the best way to evaluate if you're not sure is to call and to check. And we should be able to provide you with the right way.
3: But I hear that there's some sort of, uh, say, exception or extreme cases. If it's a kind of uh, animal species that face extinction, then some extra help would ne- will be necessary. Is that right?
2: Depends on what kind of uh, extra help we're we're referring to here. And for us, of course, all the raptors are state class one or class two protected species. So each of them are endangered in different ways. And also, especially when they're chicks, it's a bit difficult to, to tell what exactly species it is. So as long as it's not that hard to tell if a bird is a, is a common, like a sparrow or a a uh, very common bird or it's a raptor. So whenever it's a raptor, what we recommend is that uh, you check to make sure uh, you, you're you doing the right thing. Great. I have an
3: interesting story because it's uh, similar with the, 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 the elephant story. In Fangshan district, half a year ago in winter time, there was a couple of golden hours making a net on the mountain top because they find sp- special food for them. A local farmer had a group of sheep so once in several days that that couple will seize one or maybe two sheeps as their food and the farmer couldn't do anything but they're not worried because there is compensation from the state or from local governments whatever local agencies and so the so we bird watchers we camera photographers were happy to see ah oh, this so but you know this is one side is endangered the other side is domestic and then what should we do well it's better to see more and more cases like this but are you friendly to the 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 sheep itself? well that's nature so we just take pictures Uh, that was exciting time so same as the the elephants in yunnan traveling around uh, destroying crops or homes houses whatever those farm views, and then local farmers had to say give give way to them and then never try to do anything otherwise there'll be legal punishment for them in, mm-hmm. including maybe jail terms prison terms
2: indeed in R9 the government worked with the um, commercial insurance company to provide um, insurance for most of the uh, households who are living in areas with the elephant movements so yes uh, if their corpse their houses their um, you know properties got destroyed and uh, by the elephants they are able to get compensation from both the insurance company and sometimes governmental fund and yes um, I think nowadays all those households um and the communities who have been living uh, alongside elephants for such a long time they uh, have learned that they are not a- they should not should not you know harm those animals mm-hmm. and it's not uh, right in the sense of uh, you know is is abiding it's not abiding to the law but it's also not constructive in terms of uh, once you harm those animals elephants they have such good memory mm. uh, they will come back they will revenge and that's that's counterproductive so that they are learning how to live in harmony with uh, with elephants more and more
0: sometimes you you simply just have to put your hands down and learn and absorb and see how we can coexist with wildlife. And the even- different
3: experiences of stories of involving swans was a very vivid ex- example. Several decades ago, somebody, somebody uh, went to a park in Beijing, killed a swan. And then, well, several decades ago, oh. uh, the laws were not that, that, that stricken. So then, bit by bit, there was laws and regulations forbidding that citizen punishing those behaviors and conducts. And then, through two or three years ago, in Tiananmen Square, there's a black swan there on the square, and people just... Stand in a circle in a a safe distance taking pictures so there's a sharp difference in the life experience of those swans swans are protected animals my fellow bird watchers say that several decades ago those swans were afraid of seeing people and they stage back and now they are not afraid of people any, anymore that hmm. they get closer to people and asking for food
0: <laughs> and is that a good thing Chen because you know all those um, measures extra precaution that people should take that you told us of trying not to imprint in the minds of birds being rescued that humans are friendly that um, you know you can get food from us but, but it seems is it inevitable that wildlife are just becoming closer to us Simply because our cities are expanding and we have millions of people
2: living in this vast uh, tract of land. Sometimes I do feel like it's a it's quite inevitable in the sense of uh, we are increasingly intruding their spaces, and because of uh, you know climate change, because of the recent. Uh, extreme weather we have been all experiencing. Wildlife they also face a situation where sometimes they cannot find food, and so they come to humans for um for help or you know to to get food from human. But from our perspective, the best way for us to react to it is to try to not overreact it. Whenever the raptors come to you know the rural areas of Beijing and uh, sometimes they steal chickens or pigeons from the households, and what they did was that they, they protect their pigeons and their livestock instead of uh, actively feeding those raptors. And they can get compensation from the government, but they should not feel like they, they're obligated and or responsible for feeding those wildlife. Um, because eventually we feel the most um, beneficial and harmonious way between human and wildlife is there's this boundary that none of the side cross to the other side. And mm. so it's it's a tricky balance. And I think because of um, the development is so rapid and we are facing new situations every year we're all learning. The wildlife they are also learning. What's the new boundary for them? And what's the way for them to live in harmony with human. So I think this this ongoing learning experience for us and for every wildlife will be the new, you know, um, situation we, we are facing, yeah.
0: Yeah. In so many ways, our lives come in contact with wildlife, with birds, raptors, in cities even, as we've demonstrated on this show. And Xiaowen, do you know that now you're a group of people called bird watchers or birders, but some of the members in that community has given it a bad name? <sighs> okay, so there's even a term for these folks, they're called twitchers. So it's someone who goes to great lengths to view new bird species. Whereas most bird watchers um, will be content with spotting birds on their local patch or anything they come across while out in the field or on their travels, twitchers. Actively hunt down birds, usually to add to their life list. And hunt down, as in watching, okay? But there's also one thing that apparently is more of a trend here among Chinese uh, bird watchers. That is, you gotta take the photo. It's not just seeing is believing, but you gotta take the photo as proof. And
3: the meaning of life as a bird watcher or photographer is. So both sides share the happiness. You get happiness in taking the pictures or rec- recordings, videos, and they are still happily living their own lives, not affecting their their life. But th- some people do get into extremes. I joined several, uh, say, WeChat groups, uh, one with one, 270 uh, fellow cameramen, and some will travel several thousand miles into other provinces, even other foreign countries to take pictures. They get get fed up or tired with the Jack and Jones, the the dog scenes every day. They're always happy to see a stranger, Mm. a new face, a bird that I've never seen. And to show that now I can beat you because I have... Some people say, I hear that one extreme case that I I know is I've taken pictures of birds of more than 3,000 but still, next to someone with pictures of more than 4,000 species of birds. But what's the use of this? For me, I normally stage in downtown Beijing to the parks, say to the, the Summer Palace, the uh, Botanical Garden, or Yuanmingyuan Garden, or Chaoyang Park. Uh, but occasionally, I may travel to the suburbs because you know, I will still grow older even. Then, by that time, what shall I do? If I'm too old to walk, to travel, Okay. In my district, on the river, in the trees by the, the side, I do have some wood chuckers. Uh-huh. I do have swallows, the sparrows, the, the, the eagles, the doves, the pigeons. If you pay enough attention, you do catch very beautiful scenes of them flying, feeding for babies, or fighting, or chasing after each other, or mating, or say, say, courting couples. What's wrong with them? The, the only difference is this is a different kind.
0: Mm. Nothing else. Yeah,
3: they do stage similarly beautiful scenes, beautiful pictures. What's wrong with them? Just only because they are the Jack Jones you're too familiar with, so mm. don't go to extremes.
0: Yeah, that I would agree. And yeah. also, there's a term for bird watchers. To describe the first time they saw specific species of a bird, it's called a lifer. So, mm. you know that's like secret uh, language that they exchange with each other. But I think th- um, having that interest in nature—that is one of the great perks of uh, being a bird watcher or just anybody who's interested in nature and do actively pursue in appreciating it in some shape or form and I think that's that's a good thing but, but not to the extent of disturb or to make too much of your presence um, in, in nature and I think that's kind of a delicate balance for those who love nature as well
3: In the field of archaeology there is a, an advice of res- to resist the temptation mm. don't try to reopen all the tombs all the underground uh, relics before you are sure you can protect them before you're sure you don't affect them Mm -hmm. so resist your temptation and for human be individual human beings you 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 will be owed to travel too far away so be happy with what you see every day
0: yeah, and also this year has been a record year for the Beijing Raptor Rescue Center. In June, apparently you guys received a record number of raptors who need rescuing and treatment, and I believe it's 91. How do you read into that number?
2: Uh, yeah, we did receive 91 in June alone, and that's the our second highest number in the history of BRRC you know i think i think this is a very interesting question we always have a very mixed of feelings cuz this could be a reason of, of many things it could be Because the citizens in Beijing, they are starting to pay attention to animals. They are more than willing to sacrifice some of their time and their uh, energy to save those birds. And on one hand, this means testify against, you know, how the years of uh, um, public uh, advocacy has increased people's awareness and knowledge about wildlife rescue. But on the other hand, we also ask ourselves, uh, why are we having more birds that are in need of help? Is this because of this very rapid and sometimes extreme climate changes that are causing those birds you need in, in a situation where um, they need our help? Um, we do not have a, you know, Evidence suggesting that it's because of this uh, extreme heat uh, in this year that actually caused this uh, uh, record high number. But I do want to highlight the thing that uh, we many of us may not remember. Last year, we also got extreme heat in southern part of China and in India in many places. And in India, literally, people see those birds. They dropped from the sky because of uh, dehydration. Because when birds, they are overheated, they use their tongue to help with balancing the body temperature. So they, you, once you see they have their mouth open, it's the, their way of uh, trying to cool down themselves. And we see that in Beijing this year. And it's not something that we don't see in, in the past years. is just because uh, after one round of extreme heat, we may have a, a run, another round of extreme cold. Then we forget how hot it was the previous summer. Then the next year, we have the same thing. So this kind of um, perpetuating extreme weathers, this new normalcy of, uh, you know, uh, climate change affecting our daily life, definitely have an impact on wildlife. So uh, back to your question, He Yang. The read to that number is that we need to stay conscious, we need to be not over optimistic about, uh, you know, the the, the higher number, the better. Uh, But also we want to recognize that uh, the more people who are willing to help, the more hope we will have for those animals. Yes, that's such a
0: good point. And I always try to refer to the expert's opinion when we look at these um, these numbers, because uh, sometimes it's easy for people to see it as an achievement, but actually the what goes on behind is a lot more nuanced, and it needs our attention to better understand, especially nowadays when we live in a world of climate change that is having an effect so closely to us. And I can't see any reason not for people to act and also pay close attention to what we do that is affecting the world that we live in. And... Here's a question for both of you, you know, how do special days designated to the likes of National Ecology Day, can it raise public awareness and also educate people or get people energized to participate in, is a preserving the environment or contributing to the betterment of ecology and how do you extend that impact beyond just
2: the day we definitely applaud this new um day this new festival because In the past several years, we have observed this uh, almost unprecedented, vibrant discussion and uh, attention from the public and from government to uh, ecological conservation and to environmental protection in general. And this can be testified by so many things. By this very ambitious 3060 carbon uh, peak and carbon neutral promise we made to the world. This can be testified by China becoming the um, hosting country of uh, um, the conference for parties of uh, uh, Convention for Biodiversity Conservation. And this can be testified by this new uh, festival and this new day. And however, sometimes I also feel like is awareness raising enough In nowadays, IFO has been participating in this uh, joint. Uh, webinars hosted by institute of psychology of Chinese academy of science and this center uh, and the uh, ministry of uh, ecological and environment is called the ecological social governance research center so this center and the uh, Iop has been releasing this um, um, citizen environmental behavior survey um, to have give us a good indication of how people feel about all sorts of environmental behaviors in their daily life and the result shows that uh, almost every Everybody agree that environmental conservation is important. So people recognize that this is such a crucial thing for our life. So the awareness seems to be already there. But how to transfer this kind of awareness into concrete actions? I think this is the next step. And how do we sustain the discussion of such a special festival and special day into the daily life, and so people can be empowered in their daily life to feel they're capable of doing something, because always you know facing this kind of a daunting plight, which it seems to be becoming worse every year, it's easy for people to get this learned helplessness, mm. like they don't feel like their behavior in their daily life matters, because it will be not be able to stop this trend. But this is something we need to be careful. We need the government to not only talk about the importance of ecological conservation and why individual matters, but provide a solution for people's daily life, tell people how, what they can do exactly in their daily life to make impact I think this is such important thing nowadays so people can get out of their pessimistic mentality and feel like okay I can do small things but small things also matter I think this kind of uh, awareness about individual capacity is something we need to build uh, and is something that on this day and the rest of days that government can further promote
3: to me, say, uh, I know the weather is changing constantly and the environment is changing constantly. Both humans and animals are trying very hard to adapt to the changes. But what if the changes are too drastic? What it deteriorates at a too fast a speed? We need to do something to uh, control if not to stage back the, the, the deterioration, but at least to control so that both human beings and animals, including raptors, can relatively easily to adapt the changes. Because we do have the ability, you know, ability to adapt to some sort of changes, but faster, drastic changes were well, well beyond our coping skills. So so that we can have a very harmonious coexistence between animals and humans, between me and the birds between someone as the raptors between someone as uh, the environment so harmonious coexistence is the key but we i understand the, the the principles but as to what to do precisely what to do and what not to do we learn to to learn bit by bit especially learn from the mistakes to prepare for this show yesterday i went to yuantan park's exhibition The World Where There Flies, the exhibition for the third time in order to get familiar with the English names of different birds. (laughs) But the third time reminds me there's a lot to learn about make sure that they're still happy and make sure we still can get seed uh, more birds and take pictures but without affecting them. So the principle is easily said, but how to do how to make us uh, to control the deterioration ratio so that we can more relatively easily to adapt to the changes it's not that easy to be done.
0: It's a very complicated matter and I like to propose or posit a theory. That is, well, for us Chinese people living in a developing country, and we've seen rapid development in the last 40 odd years. And also, I think for many up and coming countries of citizens around the world, sometimes we tend to think that the ideal lifestyle is maybe big car, big house, big everything. But in fact, I think it's time to also propose a alternative vision on what is the ideal lifestyle. Because as the individual, most of us, we're thinking about how to get by every day. Don't just
3: think about just the bird. If we talk about the bird, the insects are involved. The, the, the fish are involved. The water is involved. The grass is involved. So we just get cannot single out one kind of speech to talk about the environment because there are a chain. Yeah. They have chain reactions to each, reactions and counter-reactions toward each other. So when we are talking about, uh, well, I want to take pictures of the raptors, but what if there is no fish? What if the water is not clean? What if there is no enough instead as food for them? So probably we need to have an overall... Th- mindset of thinking about the environment
0: indeed and also don't forget that we humans we're a huge part of that chain and we're disturbing that chain that used to exist for you know since the beginning of time so it, it's a huge responsibility that we need to take action upon and what's your final takeaway you
2: like to leave with our listeners hmm I want to echo what uh, mr Shawan just said when we talk about the uh, environmental conservation maybe we need to point it out that it's not just something right it's something relevant it's really relevant to our daily life uh, because since the outbreak of covid i think many people get to learn the term one health it basically means that us the environment we're living in and the animals and the plant who share the environment we are living in we share the same health uh, and one link is broken one part of it of the general machine is not functioning will impact us eventually so it's not just a theory of uh, it's right to do the right thing but uh, the things we do will eventually impact us this is something really relevant to our daily life so I think highlighting that part providing a solution providing what are the options? What are the things people can actually take to, so that people feel uh, capable and empowered to actually do something about that?
3: Among my uh, fellow uh, uh, bird watchers on the WeChat groups, there are people giving advice to people not to do this and not to do that, but to do this and to that. And there are also people who've been kicked out because of some sort of behavior. There are always some people get too eager to get closer and closer and closer to the bird nest and then one day i'll be old i'll watch my say my own pictures and then say i would hope that my grandson or the the, the report to me that more birds a new kind of and then they take pictures and the scene is more beautiful and then fewer people are doing the damage if more people are trying help just to keep a distance, a safe distance is, is good enough. But if you have learned some professional skills, you can do something extra to provide necessary needed help, not unneeded help. So that, say the life of the, the, the birds, or life of the animals, the life of us human beings or the last chapter for me is a happier one and harmonious one.
0: Yes, and Execute your curiosity with caution, please. And well, with today's show, it reiterates that we are all an important link in that circle of life of a chain. And uh, let's all do well and do good. And thank you so much, Ma Chen Program Manager of International Fund for Animal Welfare, or IFA, And Li Xiaowen, veteran political commentator turned bird? enthusiast or birder. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. He Young. Thank you. And that's a wrap. You can find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.